Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is Monsters Who Murder, Serial Killer Confessions. With Amanda Howard and Robert McKnight. Hello there and welcome to Monsters Who Murder, Serial Killer Confessions. It wouldn't be Monsters Who Murder without the Serial Killer Whisperer. Hello Amanda Howard. Hello Robert McKnight. I can't believe we're doing another episode already. Yes. Uh, Can I just clarify something? What did you just call me? Robert McKnight. Yeah, it sounded like you said McKnight completely wrong and I thought, geez, after over 30 plus something years of friendship... (laughs) But what do you do, hey? Yeah. (laughs) That's how important I am in your life. Oh, bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, look, this week we're discussing a case that's been unfolding the entire time we've been doing Monsters Who Murder. Um, You know, we have reported about this case in our news section time and time again. We followed the updates. We followed the progression. Um, So, look, it's, it's a case that I know quite a bit about. It's Todd Colehep. So, Amanda, perhaps we should reverse roles this week. Maybe you ask me the questions and I'll tell you all about the case. Uh, okay. No, we're not doing that. <laughs> Don't worry. You can keep playing. We are not doing that. I promise you all uh, All of our listeners. No, we will be doing that psychological profile a little bit later. Uh, and it's, it's quite an interesting one on a lot of levels. The interview oh, itself yes. is quite interesting that we have to dissect. But first of all, let's get into the news. And raids have been carried out on the Sydney-based arm of the 12 Tribes cult. Detectives spent six hours collecting documents and diary entries as evidence on the cult that has infiltrated Australia. Channel 9's The Current Affair has more. The 12 Tribes cult is based on the First Testament. Its members live in communes, handing over all their possessions and all their money when they join. They recruit members through their Yellow Deli cafes around the world, but it's their treatment of children that has sparked international headlines. How old are you? I'm taller. <laughs> They've been investigated in countries around the world for forcing their young members to work on their farms and on factory assembly lines. They've also been scrutinised for repeated physical punishment of kids. A current affair has heard numerous accounts of Australian children of the tribes being beaten with rods from a very young age. Young babies wriggling while you're changing their nappies, you need to spank them to keep them still so they learn to respond. Amanda, what else do we know about this cult? Um, Well, the reason that they're actually doing this investigation is because of the allegations of child abuse and the fact that um, they've had a lot of stillbirths. So... Uh, when these mums get into trouble during birth, they aren't seeking outside help because they are such a closed unit. Um, They've been around Sydney, and this is actually quite local to where I am, they've been here for about 30 or 40 years, so Mm -hmm. they've been here for quite some time, and uh, they do have um, issues with child labour lords because, as I said, they have them out doing the farm work. Uh, they often run um, cafes and delis around their their areas where they live and so they often use the kids for, you know, making soaps and things like that as well. So um, they're being investigated, but it's, it's pretty much like any other cult, you know, that there's this head guy who doesn't seem to appear all, all that often. Um, but everyone who joins the cult has to give over a percentage of their wages and they have to do what they need to. They don't actually go in, in, into town. They're pretty much self-sufficient, which is um, a major concern too because then there's so much that is unaccounted for. It's not illegal to be in a cult, is it? It's not illegal to be in a religion. Um, cult is pretty much a dirty word, so they mm. use that word for um, people that take it to that next 
you know, Jonestown sort of thing because they don't mm. want to see a, a repeat of things like Jonestown. So they do like to keep a close eye on these religious outbreaks. Um, but And, of course, what they're doing to kids is the, is the thing that police are most prominently interested in because if they're being used as child labour, if there are deaths that could have been avoided, those are the key issues for investigators. But this case, yeah. And, and it just depends. I mean... Most people hadn't really heard of them until uh, I think it was the ABC or Channel 9 last year did a big investigation on them. And, th- and they had no, actually done a, um, a piece on them about them being this friendly and wonderful um, group. But then they decided to talk about how they use the rod to tell you know, a six-week-old baby that they shouldn't be crying mm. and stuff like that. And that's where the investigation began and that's why the police have now... Um, raided the place. Of course, Channel 9 was there before the police got there, so wasn't really a surprise <laughs> <laughs> raid, that's for sure. Well, we can talk about that on uh, on my TV <laughs> yeah. Black Box podcast because uh, I can tell you how that works. Yeah. But meanwhile, a notorious serial killer known as Cyanide Mohan has been sentenced to life imprisonment by a court for the murder of a 23-year-old woman in India in 2006. It's the 19th of 20 murder cases brought against him. Mohan killed several women using deadly cyanide after befriending and raping them. Earlier, he had been awarded death sentences in five cases and life imprisonment in three cases. Two of the death penalties were later commuted to life imprisonment. Amanda, this guy has one hell of a rap sheet. Yeah, and actually I was doing some research on him today before I even saw this news story. And yeah, so he he, he befriends these women that he finds and, and promises them the world and they go along with him and he claims that he's going to wed them and all of this, but instead he, he does attack them. And he asks them to take a pill, which he tells them is a contraceptive, but um, it's actually cyanide. So he's killing these women as soon as he's he's done with them. So it's quite horrific and it has been going for quite some time. Um, he is sentenced to death, as, as we said, but um, it's going to be a long time before they get to that point because they do have more charges coming. So we'll be able with, to With see. 20 people um, dead, where does that put him in terms of serial killers? Um, uh, he's probably in the top 100. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, when I was doing some research today, I came across his, his name quite early in the piece and I was doing it in, in kill count. So he was he was high up the list, but I'd say, yeah, there's a fair few still ahead of him with only 20, sadly. Yeah, interesting you would just happen to be doing a kill count today. <laughs> but uh, that's the life of the serial killer whisperer, I suppose. <laughs> Uh, If you ever thought Silence of the Lambs was pure fiction, well, think again. The UK's most dangerous man, Robert Maudsley, has been left to rot in a glass box underneath a prison for more than four decades. The same kind of prison which held Hannibal Lecter in the famous film. Maudsley will never be freed from his dungeon underneath Wakefield Prison and he will remain in solitary confinement for the rest of his life. So, Amanda, what did he do to deserve this? Uh, he's he's one of those killers that um, is brutal in in their attacks. I mean, there's people that kill and then there's overkill, and, and this is what he does. However, when you read articles about him and people comment, they're often actually wanting to support this guy because what he did was he what? often killed pedophiles. So he was almost a vigilante uh, okay. in prison. So he he would make sure that he was in a cell with a certain person and then he would literally attack them, but he would brutally torture and, and slay them quite horrifically um, that they had to keep him separate from everyone else. Unfortunately, this article um, that... that that we're actually going off is quite poor in its research because it's saying that they based his cell off Silence of the Lambs, but he's actually been in this cell from before any of Hannibal Lecter came about. So Hannibal Lecter is kind of based on him rather than the other way around. Um, right. But, yeah, he, he, he killed a man and went to prison. Now, he, he had a horrible upbringing and basically he was made bad. And um, so once he was in prison, he went on this almost vigilanteism. Right, but before he was in prison, was he killing and was he killing pedophiles then or did that become something yes, he did in no, no, prison? No, no, his, his first victim, he was um, about 20 years of age and his first victim was a man that had been sexually abusing him for several years. So, right. so he always killed the people that he considered to be bad. 
Okay. Well, coming up in our psychological profile in just a moment, we'll be looking at Todd Colhep. And people who have been listening to Monsters Who Murder Serial Killer Confessions from the very beginning will know a bit about this case, but we're going to take you in depth and do what we do best. Look at the profile, psychoanalyze him, and get to the truth. Monsters Who Murder Serial Killer Confessions will be right back. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. These interviews are a little different. Let's go for it. Let's cut some throats. And they are very, <laughs> very honest. And I do believe that that was the real beginning of us breaking up. It's a celebration of media with tall tales you have to hear to believe. Simon used to fly up into a raid. Join media executive Rob McKnight for a brand new podcast where you never know what will be revealed next. McKnight Tonight, part of the TV Black Box podcast feed. Our psychological profile is on serial killer Todd Colhep, who was convicted of murdering seven people in South Carolina between 2003 and 2016. Amanda, as we mentioned at the start of this podcast, this is a case we've reported on many times in our news section. But take us back to the start and explain to us how this case broke. Well, Robert, this is one of those interesting cases um, and most of us were following it before we even knew it was a serial killer case because um, Kayla Brown and Charlie David Carver had disappeared and people didn't know where they were. Mm. And this was um, in... um, August 2016, but then all of a sudden Charlie's Facebook page became active again and people were talking to who they believe was Charlie and they were saying, you know, can you bring Kayla back? You know, whatever's happened, it's okay, come home. And they were conversing and even Charlie's ex-girlfriend was getting involved and making threats and all of this sort of stuff was going on. But they believed they were actually talking to Charlie. They they thought the the couple had taken off. Was that always the case? I seem to remember something about there was some hint that it wasn't Charlie. Well, he was saying things that didn't sound like what Charlie would say. Yeah. And so, you know... Or is that in hindsight we're looking at that? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Right. Because I was saying things like... the. uh, that, that Kayla is happy with Charlie and, and they don't want to say the families anymore. And, and they had close families, especially yeah. Charlie's family, um, who put up these massive Facebook Find Charlie groups and all of this, and, and they're still active to this day. Um, but at, at the time, it, it was raising some flags that something was wrong, but they didn't know what. But the fact that, that there were these posts, people were thinking something is going on. You know, is this one of these cases where the killer is... well? Back then, the, the, the abductor was talking to the public through his page. That must have been confusing and terrifying for the families of the couple. It was, and it, it was so strange because, like, a lot of us followed um, Charlie's page for weeks because we could see that something was happening. Um, but then all of a sudden they realised that they could check the pings off the mobile phones and that's what led them to Colhep's property. They realised that that's where they were commenting from so you know Colhep didn't think about that and that's where they actually found the large shipping container right now inside the shipping container was Kayla Brown hearing the police she began banging on the wall now we actually have a recording of police rescuing her the first noise you'll hear is the grinder cutting into the container Yes, you pull that one first. All right, let them get ready. Everybody ready? Come on. Got that. Just jam in here. Give me that crowbar back. Where's that? Here it's pumping off. Where's that? Big crowbar. Watch out. Y'all move. Watch out. 
I got it. Watch out, boss. Back up. Hey, Joey. Joey. Sheriff's office. Sheriff's office. What? Back up, everybody. Just one. Are you okay? Grab one. Go. Do you have any weapons? Coming through, okay? What's your name? What's your name, man? Lauren. Lauren. Gotcha. Just a girl. Just a girl. Just a girl. How are you, honey? This is bolt cutters. This is our best. He's a paramedic. Oh yeah. Okay. We're gonna get you out of there. Okay. Just hang loose for me. Anybody got? I need a handcuff key. Handcuff key. I don't. I got it right here. Hold up. Y'all slide back. Hold on. He's got a light. We gotta get pictures. Randy, let me let me see your light, Randy. You can you can put your hands down for me. You're okay. We're here. Okay. Yes, sir. Y'all sit back. Light on or off? We'll get the rest of it here. Let's get her out of here. Okay. We're getting bolt cutters, honey. Don't, don't. Right. You got pictures of the cuffs? No, hold on. Bolt cutters. It's both feet. Just one. Let me see. Okay, to a chain. Okay. Okay. And my neck's attached to the wall up here. Okay. All right. All right, we're going to get you out of here, okay? You got a handcuff, kid. I got another one. I got another one. Bolt cutter. Just hit the chain right there. Loose. Just no, just right there at her hand, Brandon. We'll, we'll get it off. We'll get it off here. Cut it right here. Do you know where your buddy is? Charlie. Yes. He shot him. He shot him. Who didn't? Todd Colehep shot Charlie Carver three times in the chest, wrapped him in a blue tarp, put him in the bucket of the tractor, locked me down here, and I never seen him again. Okay. He says he's dead and buried. He says there's several bodies dead and buried out here, and he okay. says that the dogs will be ruined if they go looking because there's red pepper. We're going to step you out, sweet devil, because there's what? Red pepper. Okay. Okay. Tell the dog people that. No. Pepper everywhere. You know, Amanda, it's so rare we get to see a survivor of a serial killer being rescued. This is quite extraordinary footage. What gets me, she appears so calm, even when talking about her boyfriend, Charlie. Yeah, and I know there's a lot of speculation about Kayla that maybe she was involved in it a bit more than she gives off, and there's been... Um, charges laid against her since then and all of this. And Charlie's family... Yeah, yeah. And Charlie's family has... um, been very vocal against her she moved on very very quickly um but each to their own but um you know she was that's talking so very unfair inst- uh, sorry someone's been through something like that i was watching that footage and just trying to think okay she's not panicking to get out but how long was she in there uh, a couple of weeks right so she's been in there for a few weeks assume she's gonna die right who knows what else has happened to her well, she's um, seen Charlie be shot. Yes. Although, she did seem pretty well-dressed, I will say. You know, like, she, her clothes weren't torn off her. She had thongs on, uh, flip-flops in America. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, 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 it was interesting to see her. But I also thought she knows she's safe now. There's yeah. so many police around her. This guy isn't going to come in and take all the police out. So, you know, there there isn't a panic in her at, at the moment. And it sounded like the first thing she wanted to do when she was asked about Charlie was just impart that information, yeah. you know, like... And, and she's been through her grieving process, you know, like if we give her the benefit of the doubt and assume yep. she didn't and have I anything will. to do yep. with it, yep. she's been through a grieving process in the couple of weeks she's been in there after seeing him shot you know and she now would have grieved for herself as well she would have correct. believed she was going to die so she's had this time to, to now see the officers come in and say we've got you she is ready to just give her statement and that's why this is why they record but when they go in this yeah. is why they have cameras on them is because they don't know that she's going to go into some time release trap that's going to give her a cyanide tablet and kill her so they film it instantly from when they start so then they know what evidence they've got and if she was in a bad way and all she could say was two words was todd colhep then that's all they would have needed from her so the Mm. fact that she was alive and 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 quite well is is good for the case but yeah you know but But what was she charged with um assault against a a future partner Oh, okay. So nothing yeah. related to the case, nothing and who knows what case. psychological trauma exactly. this had on yeah. her. Yeah. 
Gosh, I but, think it's unfair to talk about moving on. This is a woman who faced death and now probably thinks, I have to live every moment and who knows what other trauma's going on. If her boyfriend came at her the wrong way yeah, and, yeah, you know, exactly. it's reminding her of said. that moment, yeah. you know, like, geez, where is our humanity? Uh, you know, like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I It is tough. It, it, it It's a tough call to make and that's why, you know, I, I think it's interesting to look at her character a bit but at the same time I don't believe in victim shaming so though mm. there's been issues since that time um a lot of it's Why been raised be? by by charlie's family as i said their their fine charlie groups are still very active um but she does a strange thing and that is that she tells the police officers to not let the sniffer dogs go out into the forest because uh, todd colheb has actually set up traps um that would kill the, the dogs with red pepper so spray. why is that a strange thing to it's, tell. it's it's because she has her wits about her. You know, she hasn't had that, oh, my God, I'm safe and I can break down and let go. She's keeping her wits about her. Oh, but she, she wouldn't you know, be like that until she's completely off that property, though. So she's still in survival mode, even though yeah. she's um, uh, feeling safer because yeah. police are there. But you're not going to completely let down the walls until you are out of that property, surely. No, but the fact that she's taking care of the sniffer dogs that she knows are coming too. Yeah, it's, it's just an interesting thing that she had peace of mind to actually say and don't let the dogs out there, which means that Cole Hepper told her yeah. that if they bring sniffer dogs in, they're never going to find you because the sniff dogs aren't going to last because the pepper kills their scent. So, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's an odd case. Now, she also says that there are other victims buried on the property. Yeah, there is, and people had no idea that they had a serial killer until that moment. So, you know, we've gone over this. Time so this and is again. escalating throughout. First of all, they follow the signals. They find her straight away. They find out we've got an abduction person, uh, someone being abducted. Within moments, they're told he's killed the other guy. Okay, so there is a murder, and then now we're told there are other victims. So all of, suddenly we're at a serial killer stage. Yeah, yeah, and but there's going to be more that comes, and you know they had no idea until Kayla had told them this is what's going on. So, you know, it actually took for Cole Hep to be in custody himself for him to let them know everything that had happened. Mm. Well, let's get started on Cole Hep's interrogation. He was arrested shortly after Kayla's rescue, as you can imagine, and the interrogation, quite bizarrely to me, when he walks into that room and the cameras are going, he sh there's a handshake between him and the two officers in the room. And then the interview begins. Hey, I told you I'm going to work. Thank you. I'm going to mine. Um, this, buddy, how you find us? This, this, you've already, you've already read your, your Miranda rights. Yes, sir. Please, 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 please. I, I think you still have the... I do. It's Miranda for again. We do have one thing we need to do real quick so that people don't think we're lying. Can I get you an initial and date? This is the map that you guys drew out earlier. Hey, those are the notes that I'll hold on. Let me I'll get those. I got it. Hey, I thought you were going somewhere. I should have done it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, buddy, you're okay. Let's get that out of here. I'm just thinking it's kind of funny. What? At the beginning of all this? Right. You've helped us when you get back with my mom. Right. And I'm helping you solve the problem that just cleans the books up. That song I hit the wrong button. I gotta put this. I'm sorry, hold on. Yeah, if you will, just, just do what? Oh, we got white people. No, that's that's just some notes that I made. If you'll if you'll just sign right here, just initial that, because that's where we talked about the notes that I put on there about where they were from. Would you initials or just if you would just sign? Amanda, we have covered a lot of police interviews in this series, and I have to say there's a very different energy to this one. Colep is extremely calm, which we've come to expect from the person being interrogated. They're um, usually quiet, still, and ready to talk. But these two officers, they're flighty. I mean, they're walking in and out of the room. They're hitting their phone by accident. One's standing up and adjusting his groin. And when he goes to talk, they're interrupting him. This is bizarre to me. 
Exactly. This case, it drives me insane. You know, <laughs> one of the officers sits and then stands about five times in that short period there. You mm. know, Cole Hep asked for his handcuffs to be removed and the officer is so eager to do that, he practically jumps across the table. <laughs> you know, like, like, and Cole Hep is a big man. Yeah. You know, they, they should feel nervous, but they should be... Almost as if, oh, my God, we have to do this. How boring. You know, they aren't supposed to make the killer feel excited. And these guys aren't doing that, you know. And, you know, Cole Hep sets there. He's still and quiet. But these officers, they fuss and fumble, you know, as like Keystone Cops. It really is. <laughs> you know, they get him to sign the map that they made of where of, of where the victims were, you know. And, and they're just going on and on and on. And, like, he's... Ready to talk. He wants to explode with all, all of this info. He's been caught. Then, Nothing yep, to hide now. Yep. And he's ready to go. He's he's in his moment. And no, no, they just stuff around. Well, let's hope things calm down as the two-hour interview gets underway. Now, what were you saying we helped you do what? I haven't been around my mom in years. I've tried. We have fallen apart. Looks like my grandfather. Okay. I should have passed up years ago. I didn't do it. It's a really shitty situation. Long time we've been helping. I appreciate it. Um, you know, we want to talk to you about superbikes. We're good for you. Would you rather write it out in a statement in your own words, or would you rather... I'd rather just tell it to you. You'd rather just tell it to us? Would you rather us t- you tell it to us and us write it out, or you just want to have a conversation and tell it to us? We'll let you pick whichever you want to do. I don't want to write. Okay. Would you I, want, I do it for a living. My hands hurt. Okay. Do you want me to write it out for you? Sure. Okay. So, Amanda, straight off the bat, there's a missed opportunity here, isn't there? Yeah, this frustrates me. I mean, I was hoping it would go somewhere later, but it doesn't. But Colhead brings up the poor relationship that, that he had with his mum and how the officers helped him with, like, getting in touch with her. Mm. Yeah, but the officers, like, you know, no, no, shut up. Who's, who's <laughs> going to write this out? Are you writing this or am I writing this? I'm like, are you serious? This was about to be the whole motive of, of how his life fell apart and it was because he loved his mum but hated her. You know, all of this was about to happen. No, they're too busy working out who's going to write the stuff down. You know, they should have been ready. They should have been prepped. They should have known what was about to happen. I promise you, dear listeners, we are not going to complain about the interrogation techniques for the entire ep- yes, we are. episode. <laughs> but look, after getting Cole Hepp's personal details, they start with the murders committed at Superbikes Motorsports, and that happened on November 6, 2003. This is 13 years before the Charlie Carver and Kayla Brown case. Tell me from the very beginning about Superbikes.
Where were you living at when you bought it? Hunt Club. You were living at Hunt Club? Mm-hmm. Now, I'm a bit frustrated with these interviewers. They, they told... He told the police officer he was happy to just have a conversation, but they want to write it down. And seriously, when you listen to this whole interview, um, they're literally stopping him from talking and doing that. But I have ADHD, and I'm not going to subject our (laughs) listeners to that. So I've gone, everything from this point, I've gone and edited down. So the bits where they're saying, he went to, I've taken it all out. Okay, so we won't have to put up with that. But... Isn't he more likely to give up information if he's just having a free-flowing conversation? Absolutely. You know, he, he is going to be forward with what he wants to say. It's recording. We're literally watching the recording. You know, we know that there's uh, telephones in, in the room that can record it. They do not need to write it down word for word whilst they're sitting there doing this part. This is about getting the information. If they had the info and they were doing the formal report, yeah, but they're asking questions which proves that they have no idea what happened in 2003. And they're asking dumb questions. When did you buy the original bike? It doesn't matter because he takes it back and that's where the issue begins. Um, Something you always go through is the positions and body language of the people in the room. Can you describe what's happening in this video, please? Well, interestingly, Cole Hep actually has his back to the camera. Now, usually we have the camera facing the offender. Mm. So it's quite interesting that we only see it from the back. Is it a case that these investigators, this is a bigger case than they're used to dealing with. They don't, they're, they're out of their depth, basically. I think so. But they should have brought in someone who knew what mm. they were doing. You know, his, his chair's actually a long way from the table and he's sitting forward. And because of his size... Um, he can actually sort of j- just lean forward and stick his hands on on the table. I mean, he's not um, Ed Kemper tall, but he's getting that way. And he's a mm-hmm. big, big, solid guy, you know. Um, but without his handcuffs, his, his hands are just in front of him. And he sort of sits forward because this seat really doesn't accommodate him. You know, but the two officers are on the other side. You know, there's a young guy and an older guy. The older guy's the one who does most of the talking in this. You know, and they're sitting there in, like, police polo shirts and, and, and jeans and collar hips in his orange jumpsuit. Um, but the older officer talks with his hands a lot and keeps forgetting that he's writing this down word for word. You know, it's just so frustrating. But as always, Colhep is sitting very still. But these two guys do not stop fidgeting throughout. People always talk about killers being psychopaths or sociopaths, but Colhep made sure he went to shoot them at a quiet time in the store. Listen to this. And we're now, as I mentioned, taking the big pauses out from this point and the bits where the police are writing it down to have a flowing conversation. So you put the shoulder holster on it, bought CVS and Bourne Springs, and then drove to the bike place, bike shop. Um, got there. Uh, not everybody was there. Went and uh, sat on a few bikes, did my usual, basically stuff for time. And doing my best to make sure that the paying customers were not there. I was waiting for I was waiting for the other. This was during the time, as you know, that it was not busy. Mm-hmm. That shows time that was not after work when I would have a lot of people in there. Um, did not want to shoot other people. Is it normal for a killer to be worried about collateral damage? Yes and no. It, it, it does depend. And it's not because they don't want to kill people. It's because, you know, like he explains, um, there's less people to have to control in the scene. He doesn't have to worry about someone running in and then running off and calling the police and him getting caught there. You know, ah. and that's why he did it was was not because he. So it's not about caring about people. innocent lives. No. It's, it's worried. It's more about control. Yes, it's about gotcha. making sure that people aren't going to fly out the back door and and go and get the police. He wanted to get away. He wanted to escape. And and he actually has a laugh about it. Listen to this. <laughs> kind of funny. Kay with it on her paperwork when she was writing stuff out to me that she found a. Killer with a conscience and a kidnapper with morals, whatever the hell that meant. Do you remember that? Yeah. So I used to, I did yeah, not. After she said, I spent a lot of time thinking, going, wow, kind of, okay. So you said you did not want to shoot. 
Uh, unfortunately, they don't follow that train of thought. He found it interesting that someone called him a killer with a conscience. But as you're saying, Amanda, it's more about being able to control the room. So where is it? Does he have any form of conscience or is it all about control? Well, he does because he was he was upset that the mum was there because like this is a family company, right? You know, and and he expected the manager and some of the other guys to be there, but the mum just comes and does the books every so often. He didn't expect her to be there that day, so I, it, it seems to be that they had a conversation when he's trying to control them all to tell her, you know, I didn't expect you to be here. I didn't want to kill you. Right. And that's where that comes from. Right. But it didn't stop him. Yes. Okay, now we get to the moments leading up to the murders at the motorcycle shop. Once again, I've edited out the pauses as police write down his answers, and that will be the case going forward. Tell me what happened then. Uh, Finally, all four showed up. From the sound, it sounded like there was nobody else there. Uh, When you say all four? All four people who worked at the the bike store. The mechanic, the mom. I was not going for the mom, but she was there at the time. She was working there, but she got thrown into it. She wasn't a she wasn't a primary target. Okay, then what happened? Sitting on a black Kawasaki Katana, 600, I believe. It's a crap bike, but I was sitting on it. And it was a what now? Black Kawasaki Katana, 600. Okay. Uh, told him that I would take it. At which point the mechanic took the bike to the back to prep it. Can you get the foot out for me? Okay. Not a problem. That was one big building. Yeah. I cleared it in under 30 seconds. You what now? I cleared that door in under 30 seconds. You guys would have been proud. I'm sorry, but you guys would have been proud. Okay, so the mechanic took the bike in the back to prep it? Yes, sir. Okay, then what happened? Uh, sit around for a few moments. Sorry. Sit around the middle. Uh, they were writing up paperwork. You sit around the middle? The building is very large. It's a, a 10,000 square foot building. Okay. Uh, it's broken into a front area of a showroom. Mm-hmm. The second area was a showroom. I believe there's a tertiary area of the showroom. And then there's a back area that is um, mechanic repair, stolen shit. Okay. Uh, middle section is an office, bathrooms, office, right behind where the front counter is. So when you said middle section, was that where you're at? Was the office? No, sir. That was, that was in the second section. I was in the third section. I may be off on, on this because they this part of the building wrapped around the office and then went around. So it may just look like another section, but it. The section? Is that what you said? Yes, sir. In that section, they have the glass up front. You have the glass um, display, then the office, the bathrooms. Little mini showroom. Uh, proceed to go to the back mechanics area where. Because you use big words. Sorry. Oh, no. You proceeded to go to the back mechanics area? Mechanics area where the mechanic was prepping the bike. Okay. Walked up, pulled out the Beretta, put the safety off. I should carry around the chamber at that time. It's interesting, isn't it? Um, he is prepared to give everything, uh, tell everything that's happened. He's taking pride in his work too, you know, like little comments like, I got out of there in 30 seconds, you guys would have been proud. You know, it, it, he's taking a pride in, in how he pulled this off. Well, when we often talk about these confessions, we talk about serial killers just giving the facts. It's not happening here because we no. have what we're watching is a mass murderer currently, and we've got to remember that. Yeah, this is not a serial killer. This is four people being shot dead in a motorcycle store. This is different. So, 
we're seeing a different sort of killer. And yes, he will change into a serial killer as, as we go along. But right now, he is that explosive anger, I have to get in there and prove a point by killing everyone in sight. So we've got that sort of killer currently. And he is enjoying it. And he is... Because this isn't a sexual fantasy. This isn't about power and control. This is basically revenge for them taking the piss out of him. Mm. And this was what we need to remember, an unsolved case until Cole Hepp was arrested and he told us information like this. So you pulled out the Beretta and what happened? Um, shot the piano twice. Downward angle. He was, he was beneath me. He was down, crashed down on the, this side of the bike. Bike was here, I'm on this side. So I had to lean over the bike and... Well, these are two, two shots. Keep going, brother. It may have been two, it may have been three, but it definitely was two. I'm at, sorry. A, at a downward angle. You shot them here twice at a downward angle, maybe twice? Twice, maybe third time. I don't remember the count. On one side, you don't want to waste rounds. The other side, you definitely need a desired effect. Do you... Did he... Where did he fall? Rather than immediately there. Okay. I believe those were with, were with the Remington 147 grain subsonics. That would be the brass casings. Okay. Um, he hit the ground when I realized he was not moving. He was not going to proceed. Um, I moved to the to the right. Uh, once I realized that he was no longer a threat. I immediately proceeded towards the front of the building. The okay. reason why you didn't get any fingerprints okay. is on the door, I used my knuckles instead of my hand, my hand to open the door. That's interesting to me. This comes back to the pride, how he's giving them information they're not even thinking about, you know, talking about why there were no fingerprints on the door. You know, why does he feel this need to share that kind of information? We have to remember that this is a media-savvy serial killer. We know that right. he does later going on the Facebook pages of Kayla and Charlie and, and, and impersonating them. So he knows the information that they're going to want because they have no proof that it's him except for his own confession. So he has right. to go into these details because they go, yeah, well, there's no physical evidence to prove it was you. And he's saying, well, because there's no fingerprints because I did this. I made sure gotcha. when I did my um, ammo, I did it in this way. You know, he's even explaining the way the directions were shot. You know, I shot down at him because he was on the floor. How many shots were fired? He is living every moment of this. This is a mass execution that's happened. And so he wants, as you said the pride of what he's done. And, and listen to this next bit as he tries to dazzle them with his cunning. And the reason you have no points on any, on any shell casings mm -hmm. is I wear two pairs of gloves when loading every firearm, even in practice. Okay. Even my practice ammo doesn't get finger lines. That's why I don't have to worry about picking up shell casings. If you wear one pair, you can still have a lean print because of the acids in your finger. In regard to that, when they touch, you still get that. If you had any chemicals on the outside of that, whether you would touch it first before you touch it, you can't put a print on it even though you didn't. You had gloves. If you wear a glove on top of a glove, it causes friction between the two of them and negates that. So when you're talking about gloves, you're talking about latex gloves? Yes, sir. But if you wear two pairs, not one, uh, one pair won't work. So you use two pair of gloves? Yes, sir. Latex gloves. Mm -hmm. Five mil preferred, not the surgical. Okay. Five mil? Yeah. Seven mil's too tight. It's too thick. Nine eleven mil are good for a surgeon, but they're not good for dexterity. He's really dangling a carrot at them, isn't he? He's trying to say how amazing he is and this is why they're not going to get the evidence, but they don't bite. They're both looking down at their pieces of paper. They're focused on what they're writing. And really, if it's not about, I did bang, bang here, that they don't care. Like, he's, he's telling them why they're not going to find evidence, why um, he left the shell casings behind. No. Nah, and no this is... 
This comes back to what we were saying before, why a conversation works better than... They're literally trying to get the statement done at this point. Yeah. And it, it's two different things, isn't it? Usually you would have the conversation, get the confession on camera, and then do the statement. Uh, You'd get from, someone to transcribe it, and then you get them to sign it saying right. this is a true reflection of what we talked about. Yeah. Um, all right, let's find out what happened next. Um, Susan Brooks said it was a black ish door kind of a fabricish thingy kind of you broke it, through the door no sir it wasn't a door door okay it's one of those um like fly catcher kind of doors but it was like one of those kind of things okay like a fat you said the fabric um plastic it, it wasn't a door like doorknobs I just put my hand through and pushed it forward. When I pushed it, went through it, it kind of parted. Soft door. Soft door. Okay. At that time, all three, manager, owner, and the mom, were all, they were, had heard the gunshots, obviously. Were all? Standing there. No, what did you say? They heard? They had heard the gunshots in the back and were coming this way to figure out what had happened. <laughs> yeah, that, that that noise you hear at the end is the flicker of his pen as it's running out, so he's trying to shake it to get more ink out. What I find extraordinary here, Amanda, is the level of detail and the calmness from Colhep. He's extremely compliant, and he's actually quite calm, considering that we know that these murders occurred because of his anger issues, you know, but he has the extreme patience as well. As he says, he went to the store several times. He wanted to make sure that when he went, it was going to be the right time to do it. So he's calm as well as calculating. So um, he's highly organised with what he does and he's very thorough in all of his killings that he's done. And as I said before, this is what happens sometimes when we have two types of serial killer, uh, two types of killers in one. So we've seen the mass murders, but we're going to see how he changes this from this revenge to this explosive anger as he becomes a serial killer. You know, but what we will see throughout is is he's very methodical in both his planning and the execution. I think this is a really interesting transformation and where your insight will be of a lot of value. Um, let's hear the last bit of the the mass murder, if you want to refer it to that. And four people is a mass murder, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I had all of a sudden I had three people in front of me. Mom was the closest and I shot her two to three times in the chest. Not my best work. Pattern was horrible. I was actually surprised at her being there and my pattern was horrible. And she she fell. The son and manager son the, the owner and the manager ran for the door. He took off. Ran for the door? Yeah. Ran. At that range, they should have ran to me, not away. They were way too close. When I came around that door, it was boom, three people right there. Okay, so then what happened? They ran to the door. They ran to the door. Um, in the process of that, I emptied, popped a few rounds, and got one of them in the back. And he crumpled in the door. Did a tactical reload and dropped the other one before he got out the door. Dropped the other. I put, I believe, two, maybe three rounds in him. I'm not sure the count. Hold on. Before he dropped the other one, before he got to the door? The, let me back. Door pathway is here. Mm -hmm. I engaged the first, the first people here, at the, all three here. Right. At this point, these two ran. Okay. While they were running, mm -hmm. I emptied it and got this guy. Okay. Then proceeded to go did a reload while this guy was still running. This guy, but I, when I hit him, mm -hmm. he crumpled into the doorway. Okay. When I did my reload, before this guy got out, mm -hmm. I put two in him before, he, before and he actually fell outside. 
When you say you got him, you mean you shot him twice, but when he fell, he fell out the door. Yes, sir. He he actually the body actually ended up being in the parking lot. That's all. So that was the next sentence. So he, he, he you you drop and drop the other one before he got to the door, but he fell out the door. He fell out the door. Okay. That was a very fast reading. Okay. Then what happened? Um, went forward. I'm not entirely sure if I popped. I think I may have put another round in the guy in the door when I went over him. But I'm not certain on that one. Tactical reload. Interesting terminology. Yeah, he's he's trying to use shop talk. So basically, he's he's trying to use terms that the police officers would understand, and to make him look more professional in what he'd done. You know, mm. I was in and out of there quick. You what would have been proud? You know, I shot this one, then did a tactical reload, and then went again. You know, he's he's trying to use uh, terms that they would prefer to use and so then he thinks that he is creating almost a kinship you know that I was doing this as a professional thing you know vigilante kind of thing so yeah he's an interesting study and I think um as we now look at him as we turn to the serial killer side of him and that progression uh it's been interesting to see this motivation of revenge and you know like revenge against people who um laughed at him yeah. and so how he's had that impulse but planned it out you know gone into the store a lot of times methodically checked when the best time to go would be the quiet time so that he could have minimal interruptions um and then how this is those tactics how going to go to the serial killer side and that's going mm-hmm. to be something we discuss next week as we look at his evolution into a serial killer and i think this is going to be really really fascinating amanda it is because uh they do let him start to talk a bit easier and it, it makes the conversation a lot easier for them to pick up on, on the cues that he gives to them. Ah, so there's a change in conversation is what you're saying. It's not about just writing every word out. It becomes a conversation. It does. It does. They get to a point that they go, OK, let's chat, because they realise, well, what they're doing was actually doing themselves a disservice. Oh, good to see they got there in the end. Well, we will hear that conversation, which Amanda has told me is quite compelling and quite different to the interrogation that's happened in this episode. So the evolution of not only the police interviewers, but of Colhep as a serial killer will be quite fascinating. And that'll be on the next edition of Monsters Who Murder Serial Killer Confessions. Amanda Howard, thank you for your insight once again. Thank you. 